When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Tales of Tamriel. I am your overzealous mob-pooling host, Agelos, and with me again this evening is my co-host, the lovely flame-throwing Mage of Doom, who is actually terrified of fire, my beautiful wife, Thais. How are you doing tonight, Thais? I'm doing really good. I'm so excited that all the snow where we live is starting to melt and it's getting warmer. I'm sick and tired of snow. So that's, that's good. I'm happy about that. Sick and tired of snow. That's going to be kind of hard when we start playing on uh, Ebonheart Pack. There's a lot of snow in there, at least at the start. That's okay. I don't need to associate with the snow. I'm a dirty dark elf, so it's all right. Dirty dark elf. Well, they have those uh, gar-looking things that are... I don't even know what they are. They're almost like centipede-looking things. So you'll have to deal with those. You're, you could do a role-play story. Your, your uh, mother and father were... Uh, gar farmers and pick up the okay never mind off topic all right well we have a fun show in store for you guys this week we had a number of fan interactions and i wanted to mention them later on in the episode and we have some cool in-game news uh to go over so let's uh go ahead and get started first off for game news this week uh google plus page for the elder scrolls online has reached 100k subscribers and in doing so they rewarded us with new wallpaper i know that i love that because i love their art and i need to add it to my uh my uh wallpaper collection i i saw the the new wallpapers and now at first i thought it was kind of dark because their their art style is is really dark but they do look really nice, the wallpapers. But as I've said previously, I can never change my Zelda wallpaper. But whenever I glance at Jello's computer, I get to gaze upon the awesome art style that is ESO. Yes, I, uh, I have them as both screensaver and as rotating backgrounds. So I, I love their art style. So when they add those, every time I see a new one, I'm like, oh, good. I could add one more to the rotation. <laughs> All right. Next up on the game news, Tamriel Chronicle number 46 was released. Now, I am really excited about this one because we actually were uh, put into those into those notes. We are now listed under the new fan sites for our Tales of Tamriel.com. 
as well as they are now listing our podcast when new episodes come out. So people who go to the main website and look at the Tamro Chronicle will be able to easily follow our our little community site and podcast. I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about that too because since that has happened, we have gotten many more visitors and to the website and much more listeners to our podcast. So that in itself was just fantastic to happen. I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I did notice a marked uh, increase in our website activity. I think we had a 30 or 40% increase in visits over over our first couple episodes because of it. And actually, uh, according to my Google Analytics, um, about 70% of them were new, not returning users. So that was kind of new to, or nice to see a whole bunch of new, uh, new people getting to view our uh, website and our podcasts. Um, you should, it was funny when, uh, when I got the Twitter update, I got sent to my phone. I'm like, Oh, Oh, ESO has a new Tamron Chronicle. So I look at it every week and I had to call these. I was giddy. I was squealing like a little schoolgirl, going, we're on the Tamriel Chronicle. <laughs> uh, she's probably laughing at me, but I, I, I was uh, jumping up and down excited when I saw that we were on that. So <laughs> it was a sad sight. Mind you, this was at work when it was happening for him. So he was just jumping up and down and squealing. I'm, I'm at home just face desk what is he doing so i was laughing it was pretty funny for me yeah well you know i'm I'm in a server room all by myself no one saw me except for the video camera so i'm sure someone probably put that up on you know youtube somewhere me dancing around anyway moving off of that um the last bit of news we're gonna go over this week is the ESO crafting video that was released. They highlighted blacksmithing, so I know that automatically almost turned these off, but I'm like, it, it was just because that's the one that they wanted to showcase. It kind of encompasses all crafting uh, everything. And um, I know you just saw the video. What did you think of it? See, the crafting wasn't the most exciting thing for me. I probably won't craft all that much. What excited me about the video was that there is a a, a skill line for gathering, and the ability is called Kenai, and it makes it so that your gathering nodes kind of glow out in the world. Now, normally when you're in the world, you don't see very many nodes. They're they're kind of hidden. You really have to be close to it to know it's there. Or have a keen eye to see them? Huh? Huh? Okay. Oh, boy. Anyway. So when you have this activated, even when you're standing in one spot and you just spin in a circle, when this is activated, you can see every single node around you. And I'm a gigantic gatherer. I I love to gather. My bags are going to be full to bursting with nothing but tons of gathering material. Because to me... Just going around and gathering is just, it's fun to me. I love doing it. And so that, that to me was more exciting to learn about than the crafting itself. Well, judging from both the video and previous conversations that they've had about crafting, you might actually make some money in this game because not only is there will be competition for crafting, uh, for gathering and stuff like that, 
because of uh, non-instance crafting nodes. So it's not going to be floods of materials because everyone gets their own mining node. It's going to be more of whoever gets to it first. But they've also said that um, crafting gear would be on par with the high-end PvE gear and PvP gear, whatever, wherever you get that from, PvP, veteran dungeons, uh, venture zone raids, whatever, whatever it is that you get it from, the gear is supposedly on par, but unique as well. And part of the next video that we're going to go into later on, we'll explain why it will be a little bit unique. But uh, one other note that I think you'll really like is, I know they showed you Kenai, which I will not be putting any points in because previous games, she've already noticed when we were playing uh, Rift, they had the artifact system, which I just called shinies because, you know, they were shiny, little shiny spots. I would notice these things anywhere, like a mile away, hidden inside a log. It would annoy me so much because we would just be traveling the world and going to quest or whatever and we're on a road and all of a sudden he stops, just turns completely around and walks like a mile in the direction we just came from because there's a shiny tucked in the metal part of a lamp and you it's like 10 feet in the air. I don't know how he saw it behind him or how we even missed it, he would find the most incredible shinies. And I'd be sitting there on my riding turtle, shaking my head like, I, you, I can't believe, how did you see that? Because I never found any shinies on my own. He found every single shiny. So he won't need the keen eye. He'll be able to find every on his own and it's gonna drive me insane not only do you already get every piece of gear in every game we play but now you'll also get every single gathering node well that's where your keen eye ability is gonna come in but not only that but another thing i thought you might like is they have a um at least for blacksmith i'm sure they probably have it for the other ones too but it's a hireling that will bring you like um Every day, I don't know if it's every real world day, they weren't real specific on this, but you can get a hiring that you put skill points into that at specific time periods, he returns to you and, and gives you materials he found. So it's an automated, random, hey, this is what I got. And the more points you put in it, the more stuff he brings back with higher chances of rare materials and things of that nature so you don't even have to technically gather on your by yourself all the time you'll have a little hireling to go out and run and grab stuff for you if we can name him i'm gonna name him a jealous and i'm gonna make him be my gathering slave and if you don't bring me back good materials i'm just gonna beat you and stick you in a corner until you find me good material well that's pretty much every day for me so <laughs> about time someone else gets that all right um the next part of the video that i really really liked and we actually talked about this in the last uh, our last episode about beta impressions because it was that one thing that i really wanted to talk about and they highlight it which were those crafting locales i was telling you about that i found uh in my beta playthrough and i loved it and this is one of the things that i said i think will be very interesting is if Crafting offers different skill sets than the veteran dungeons and the adventure zone raids and PvP offer. Because um, there's going <clears> to... 
<clears throat> you have to go out to these crafting locations in order to get that set bonus. So, Not only that, but you have to find specific books in the world that offer you those racial, what do they call it, racial motifs to give you the ability to be able to craft those special sets, which is, is pretty interesting. I, I'm not sure if that... I'm a little confused. I'll have to look it up. But I thought the racial motifs were only so you could craft in a particular style. Like, if I start out as a Nord, which I will, I automatically know how to craft armor and weapons in the Nord style. Um, but if I wanted to learn to make it in the Dunmer style, I'd have to find the book that had the racial motifs so I can make a sword look like what a, a Dunmer would use. I thought that's how it goes. I'm I, 90% positive, but they did highlight that. You're probably right. You're probably right. Because I don't know much about the crafting. You know more than I do. So you're probably right. But they did mention racial motifs in the video. And it was just interesting to listen to that they're tying, even with the locales, they're tying crafting into the exploration of the world. Which more people are going to be crafters that way. But you're still going to have those people that, you're, that one person in the server who's this ultimate alchemist because he's found all of the special books or that make special items in the locale and yeah um i agree there's that's one of the things i really love about this is the fact that people actually use crafting to a certain extent that's what i was saying if there are certain like i don't know let's just say uh veteran dungeon one offers a set that increases um i don't know your health okay that set, that type of set is only available from Veteran Dungeon 1. Adventure Zone 1 has a different set. It's the same item level gear or same level gear, however you want to talk about it. They each, you know, a sword that does 10 damage, they each do 10 damage. You got a Crafted, you got the Adventure Zone, you got the PvP and uh, the Veteran Dungeon. All 10 damage. They all do the same damage. But each one has a special set bonus, if you will, and I think it would be neat if the crafting set bonuses were unique to crafting. That way, if people wanted to get part of those set bonuses, they would have to commission a crafter to get it. Um, it looks like uh, one of our Khajiit has decided to to make home on Thais's lap. That's what it looks like, anyway. She's kneading my sweatpants, and, and she's got her like head buried in my elbow. It's actually kind of adorable doesn't she know we're doing a show <laughs> apparently not we're, we're on her time all the time that's that's kind of how it is oh well if you anyone hears the little uh khajiit talking it's our little little one over here on her lap so <laughs> it was just funny i looked over at Thais and she's uh gives me this weird look as the cat jumps up on her lap anyway so the crafting in this game really really cool and i'm really excited to to do that or to really get into crafting mostly because of this this old school mechanic of having to return to these crafting locales to make special items games have not done this in a very long time and i'm very excited to see this come back in a uh, in a big way for me I, i'm really excited for that um as a note i do want to also say this that what they mentioned was true. The books with the motifs are available in game. 
<clears throat> cough, cough, hint, hint. That means the Imperial one from the Imperial Edition is also available in game. So the players who didn't buy the Imperial Edition are not locked out of making cra- Imperial style gear. They just have to find the book. <laughs> so that bonus only for us at the Imperial Editions. We only get it at the start. We don't have to find the book later on. All right. Is there anything else you want to say about crafting? Any kind of hopes and dreams or anything of that nature? I I hope to gather my little bum off so I can funnel all my mats to, to Ajalo so he can make all my gear for me. Since he's so excited for crafting, that that's definitely what's going to happen. I'm also charging her double. I'm giving you mats for free. You you know, you can't you can't charge me anything. It doesn't work like that. Sorry. You're my wife. I'm charging you double. It's the only way I'm going to make out in this. Alright. Uh, the marital spat out of the way. Uh, we're going to move on to our Elder Scrolls discussion topic for the week. Um, I've been thinking about this one for a little bit. And what I've decided to do is we are going to do a racial bonuses and impact on gameplay. So... We're going to go at it from the sense of an MMO perspective, and we're going to talk about how we feel racial bonuses affect MMO gameplay in general from other games, and, you know, just in a very broad sense. We're next going to move into how the racial bonuses change from the Elder Scrolls single-player games to the online environment, see how the transition worked. And also, there's a fun little article on... um, Tamro Foundry where they did a racial bonus um, comparison video and we are going to do our idea of what we believe make the best tanking classes, healing classes or races sorry not classes, melee DPS, archery and casters so we're going to make our predictions and we're going to compare it to the theory crafting powerhouse that is Tamro Foundry and see how far off we really are so, <laughs> without uh, much further ado, we're going to get in on this. Thais, why don't you tell me, in a very broad sense of you, how you feel racial bonuses affect MMOs in general. What you're feeling on racial bonuses is from a player in your perspective. Whether or not they affect you at all, or not so much. I, I feel like they, they definitely do affect you, but not... So much so that it's game-breaking. Now, in saying this, I have to point out that in WoW, I'm a druid tank, and I'm a tauren. So my racial bonus is is stamina. That is my racial bonus. So if you're going to be a tank on the horde side, you should probably choose a tauren. Just for how much stamina you get as a racial bonus. Now, in saying that, I did not choose a Tauren for that. I chose Taurens because they were pretty. But racial bonuses are, are definitely for those people who are min-maxers, who want the most they can get out of their gameplay. But you don't have to go with a race with specific racial bonuses. Your gameplay is not broken in any way. You're not really losing much. Just going back to WoW, you can definitely be a troll a druid tank and you're not losing much you're still just as good as i am i just have a just a tiny bit more health but that can be made up with adding things to your gear 
as with any that goes with any game, even though there are racial bonuses, you can choose them for that racial bonus, or you can forego it and still be just as good. It's all about what you as a player really want to pursue. Well, I'm coming from another point of view because I am the min-maxer, and racial bonuses in MMOs can mean a good bit if you're a min-maxer, such as, like you said, in uh, World of Warcraft, racial bonuses, especially for some of the the later the later races that were released, I think uh, the Worgen and the Goblin, their racial bonuses were quite a bit better than some of the other ones. Um, like, I know Worgen pretty much made the best rogue in the game because one of its racials was that it had uh, increased critical strike. Um, Draenei, for instance, made one of the best almost any class, really. Um, in particular, when I played, I played a Retribution Paladin, and Draenei were the number one race because of one particular thing and that was they got an extra one percent hit now this is back when they still had hit caps i think they still do but they're doing away with them later on but the hit was very important and that hit cap that extra one percent hit meant that they could get more in other stats because that extra one percent hit to hit hit cap they needed far less in their hit stat than other races and by by not so much in in burning crusade but by wrath and by cataclysm and by mr pandaria that that uh one percent the number grew exponentially in the amount of hit you did not need like they could forgo whole pieces and still be hit capped whereas myself and my blood elf needed that extra hit here and there in order to hit that cap so things like that i tend to have issues with um, and like to be equally balanced. Likewise, every race also had um, special special abilities or special crafting. Like one of the most the worth most worthless skill or racial balance they had in Warcraft was the plus plus to a type of crafting profession. It, it was worthless because re in reality, you started out a little higher in the crafting node. Oh, and you could get enchanting to like 415. Well, that didn't mean anything when the max enchanting thing was actually 400. You know, there was no benefit other than when you first leveled off, you were start off slightly higher, which in reality didn't matter anyway. The first few levels were insanely fast to go through. So the only downside that I could see from from wow was an MMO talking about racials was Torin, Druids, and Gathering Speed. Because when you were in flight form, you could pick that node faster than anybody else in the world, and you did not have to change flight form. You did not have to land on the ground. As you were a bird, you picked it up, and it was like half a second, then you could just fly off to the next node. Now, anyone who wanted to be an herbalist, they went with a Druid, Torin, because that's just it was just the easiest thing to be. Now, in that sense, I feel like that was a little overpowered. It wasn't really fair to everyone else because those nodes weren't instance. It was first come, first serve. But as for any other racial passive or, or racial ability, uh, you can take it or leave it, in my opinion. It's 
not really important. It doesn't break anything. I, I, I typically choose what race I want to play based on how pretty they are, how well they mesh with my personality. <laughs> That's the uh, female answer right there. But you made a perfect example of in, the, in this game, that was an unfair racial balance. For that particular, yes, it was kind of niche if you were a, a crafter or a gatherer for uh, alchemy and herbalism. But that was still, like, if you were a torn druid, you could get to anything. You didn't have to dismount. So I know uh, one of the most unfair things was in when you were in the public PvP zone, you didn't dismount. You could pick it, and people couldn't kill you, because even if they stunned you, you just flew up in the air when the stun wore off. And they were out of range. They couldn't touch you any longer. And that it was. It was definitely unfair. I don't know why they never changed that. But that's... MMO racial balances, especially when it comes to unique powers, can be more OP or overpowered than normal. Like that flight, the flight form of the class mixed with the faster herbalism speed, that was a racial that only that meshed well with the class that made it really, really good. It wasn't all that much better if you um, were not a druid, like you were a Tauren warrior. Yeah, you could pick it slightly faster, but it didn't really affect as much. But some other racials, um, I'm trying to think of one of the racials in particular. This racial is particularly overpowered. Now, uh, what, what was it? Pandarans. When Pandarans have a food buff, their food buff counts, they're, they're doubled. So if you ate a food that would normally give you 200 stamina for a Pandaran, it gives you 400 instead. Now... From from just that, it would seem like everybody would want to be a Pandoran. Any class they could be, anybody would just want to be a Pandoran. Because that was just so overpowered. It gives you so much more intellect than everybody else. So any, any stat you can think of is now doubled from just a simple food buff. Now, I the, the, the Tauran gathering speed, it's not that big a deal. But that racial passive, they did not have to make it double. They could have made it not quite double, maybe like half, 25% of that, and, and it wouldn't be nearly as OP. But that, that was something that was just too much. But with everything we've read from the ESO racials, nothing seems like it will be game-breaking. It's not like how the WoW racials were. The ESOs seem a lot more balanced in what the racials are offering. And for a min-maxer, it could be great. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't think anything's going to break anything else. Good point. And that's what we're going to move on to next. Is Now that we talked about how we feel racials affect gameplay in an MMO type of way, we're going to now go into how the racials changed from the single-player test games to Elder Scrolls Online. Um, I'm going to go over real quickly here from the Elder Scroll, the unofficial Elder Scrolls pages. They have an awesome, an awesome breakdown of all the different races and the different things that they get. So I'm going to go over them real quickly, and we'll go in. Actually, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do this. I'm going to read off the the racial from the single player game from Skyrim 
And then I'm going to have you face read off the um, racials from the Elder Scrolls Online. And we are actually using a nice chart that was made by... Actually, I have it written down here. I want to give credit where credit's due. This was an awesome chart on racial bonuses that was done by Tesnik on Reddit. So props to Tesnik on Reddit for providing us with this nice little graph to go off of. Alright, starting off first, we're going to look at the Altmer, the High Elves. Now, in the single-player game, they had... A special, they got 50 Magicka bonus right off the bat from other races. They also had a once a day power called Highborn, which regenerated their Magicka 25%, or 25 times faster for 60 seconds. The initial bonuses they got were they got an extra plus 10 to Illusion, 5 to Alteration, Conjuration, Destruction, Enchanting, Restoration, and they learned the spell Fury right off the bat. Now, remember, this is going to transition into Elder Scrolls Online a little differently because the spells are different. We have Destruction Staffs, but we don't really have the Schools of Magic as they pertained in Skyrim. So why don't you tell us what they have, the Altmer have? Let's see, in ESO, the Altmer's expertise is Destruction Staff. And an expertise in this note is the level at which it raises faster. Every class has a one particular thing that levels faster. Now note, every they don't have a cap or anything like that. Everyone levels at the, you know, you get to a max skill, great. You just get there faster. I just wanted to highlight that. So their, their expertise is the, is the destruction staff. Now they have faster regeneration in Magicka uh, increased by 9%. So they have a 9% increase faster regeneration of Magicka. They also have an increased maximum of Magicka by 10%. And on top of that, they have a special. Let's see, they have increased cold, fire, and shock damage by 6%. Now, I'm curious, and this is something that's going to be speculation, the special, if that's to replace the powers. Because we don't have powers like we did in the other games that were once a day, because... Again, the way MMOs work with time and things of that nature, there's no speeding up your time. So I think they did away with the limit once a day, at least to my knowledge. So that's kind of interesting that they have that increase. Now, what were the, the what were the um, regenerations and, and maximums again? Their regeneration is in Magicka, and their increased maximum is Magicka. Regeneration by 9%, increased maximum by 10%. Okay, so that actually kind of one-on-one -on -one fits with what the Altmer were in Skyrim. Maybe not a hard number, they did a percentage. And in MMOs, naturally, percentages are the way to go, because as you get better ge gear, it scales better. And this is one of those things that in in Warcraft, for instance, when they were like, oh, you got plus 10 to... Or, you know, you get... When they did a whole... I, oh, that's what it was. The mining stat. When you were mining, they gave you an extra 200 health for leveling mining. By the time we were playing Pandaren and I had 300,000 health, 200 health was nothing. I mean, I had dots who ticked harder than that by a good bit. So the benefit of that stat was null and void by the time we reached that. I think they changed it to a percent later on, so it was better than 200. 
But 50 Magicka, like right off the bat here from the Elder Scrolls one, 50 Magicka might get, might not mean a lot by end game when your spells cost 3,000 Magicka, for instance. I don't know, it's just numbers here, but generally beginning stats, if they're a set number, lose benefit after the first couple levels. So percentages are kind of interesting. Um, what's the next? Okay, next one on the list is Bosmer. We'll we'll just go down the list from there for Bosmer. All right. According to Skyrim, they have a 50% resistance to poison and disease. They also have a special power called Command Animal, which makes an animal an ally for 60 seconds. They can use it once a day. They had bonuses 10 plus in archery skill, 5 in alchemy, light, armor, lockpicking, pickpocket and sneak now what is their racial bonuses within the elder scrolls online uh, you know most of it's pretty different this is kind of interesting their expertise is in the bow which which see which kind of works with it that goes right with it yeah after that they have faster regeneration and stamina by nine percent they have increased maximum stamina by three percent their increased resistance to poison and disease is 21 and their special, which is a little strange, they have a boosted stealth radius by three meters, and their damage is increased by nine percent. It it still sounds like they're trying to emphasize them as bow users within ESO, because while it's bow expertise, they're kind of saying, "Hey, if you level with a bow, it'll go faster for you." You know, you'll still have to be capped out at fifty or whatever the skill cap is, but. If they're, you know, now the stamina increases and in the gener in the regeneration makes more sense because in Skyrim you used a lot of stamina when you were doing, uh, oh gosh, when you were zooming in with your bow, you used stamina, not magicka. So that, all right, I, I could see that working. Yeah, it seems anyone who does the, in this game, they, they kind of emphasize stamina if you're meant to be a, a damage dealer health if you're meant to be a tanky type character, and magicka naturally for casters and healers. So I can see where they're going with that one. Um, I'm kind of disappointed in a way that they don't have that command animal still. Because that... I think I remember reading earlier that they had that ability. I don't know if it was taken away. I haven't really played the Bosmer much in the betas, as I don't really care for the dirty Bosmer. Special shout out to one of our one of our listeners there, Dirty Bosmer. Um, but I, I that was kind of a unique thing that I like. I wish you could kind of tame a a pet, if you will, um, maybe even at at a, a reduce of your own damage to have the pet, something like that to kind of keep to the known racial. All right, so that's the Bosmer. Alright, up next in the Aldmari Dominion is the Khajiit. Now, these guys were a little different in Skyrim. Uh, they had a special ability where their claws did 12 damage, extra damage. Honestly, this was probably one of the most useless abilities in there, except for when you were uh, picking bar fights. Like, you could really make money if you had the determination just to keep challenging for 100 gold, because you would almost always win, because you had that extra damage modifier because of your claws. But other than that, eh, kind of worthless. 
Now, they had a special power called Night Eye, improve night vision for 60 seconds. Can be used multiple times a day. And also, they had bonuses to sneak, alchemy, archery, lockpicking, pickpocket, and one-handed. Um, before I have, they used to read that. That was one of those skills, like night vision was one of those skills that did you really use it? Maybe in Oblivion and Morrowind, which were darker games. But unless you were doing mods, like in Skyrim, the gamma was so high, you didn't need a special night vision stuff because you could see everything all the time anyway. So kind of a worthless power unless you turn your gamma settings real low. Okay, let's see off my list here. Their expertise is in medium armor. Their faster regeneration is in health by 15%. They don't, they don't have any increased maximum. And they don't have any increased resistances. But their special is they have a boosted stealth radius of 3 meters. Their stealth damage is increased by 9%. Their melee critical rating is increased by 3%. And their critical damage is increased by 15%. You know, that kind of emphasizes them towards being that thief role, which is actually kind of, you know, lore-friendly for most Khajiit. I, I would agree with that, except for the faster regeneration of health. I would think that that would, should be more towards faster regeneration of stamina to be able to use their skills more. But then again, that might be a little too OP. It is weird to see a health regeneration on something like that. Um, definitely, definitely weird. All right. Now, moving along, we're going to go into the Daggerfall Covenant, and we are going to look at the Bretons. Now, in Skyrim, they had a flat 25% resistant to magic of all kinds. They had a special power called dragon skin where they could absorb 50% of magicka from hostile spells for 60 seconds they can use that once a day now they had a special or extra skills in conjuration agility alteration illusion restoration and speechcraft they also learned the spell conjure familiar early without needing the book um See, they've always been the hybrid race. They've been called the Manmer in lore because they were the, I don't know, bastard children of elves and, and the early early settlers in High Rock when they were under their elven overlords. They kind of interbreeded and became this half-elven kind of race. That's why they, they've always been the defensive-type caster. They made one of the best defensive-type casters within these single-player test games, because of their elven blood, they actually had bonuses to these casting. But it was mostly defensive. That dragon skin in particular made them awesome defensive casters. Now, what do they have in ESO? Let's see. Their expertise is in light armor. They don't have any faster regeneration, but they have increased maximal magicka by 10%. And they do have resistance to spell here. They have increased resistance to spells by 6. And their, their special is reduced spell cost by 3%. So you can see there that they, they made them be a little bit of the defensive and they're kind of the better spellcasters here. Yeah, have we seen so far. Um, up next is the Red Guards. 
I personally don't really care for the red guards that much, but, you know, to each their own. They have a 50% resistance to poison. Now, one of one of the cool things that I always liked that this would have been, for me, in an MMO environment, the type of character that I play, this would have been a game-breaker kind of thing going, well, obviously they have the best racial. The Adrenaline Rush, they regenerated stamina 10 times faster for 60 seconds. Um, they had bonuses to one-handed sword, or one-handed, I should say, because that included maces and axes, alteration, archery, block, destruction, and smithing. What do they have in ESO? Wow, they're, just from what I'm reading, it seems so overpowered. Their expertise is in one-handed plus a shield. They have faster regeneration of stamina by 9%, increased maximum stamina by 10%, no increased resistances, but they re- their special is they restore stamina when dealing melee damage. That's just, that's just crazy, wow. I think they tried to incorporate Adrenaline Rush in a way that wouldn't seem too overpowered. And that the restoring stamina while doing that does seem kind of like a reincarnation of Adrenaline Rush in a more MMO kind of friendly, number crunching fair way. So that's that's interesting. And last up for the Daggerfall Covenant is the Orzammir, or Orcs. I said that specifically for Thais because she was looking at it going, what's an Orzammer? I said, that, that, that's, that's, an, that's the orc name. All, all the rest of the Altmir, the Bosmir, those those I know, but this is the first time I've ever seen Orzammer. I was incredibly confused. Like, why couldn't they just call them orcs? But anyway. <laughs> well, they were elves at one. The, technically, they're still considered a mer race. But actually, off topic, but not. It's kind of interesting how they pulled standard uh, classical fan- fantasy lore into the Elder Scrolls concerning the orcs. Because they were originally elves who, at this case, were cursed and turned into the orcs. That's essentially what happened in almost every high fantasy uh, story is how the orcs came about. Uh, Middle Earth, for instance, the orcs there were taken by Morgoth the Dark Lord and converted to after many many generations of torture and mutilation they converted into an an orc race so the elves transforming into the evil orcs from some sort of evil presence is a common theme in western fantasy so it's it's neat because they always Elder Scrolls always kind of um surprised me from their departure from western fantasy especially with the dwemer the dwarves technically being elves instead of short little folk not only that but the elves in general in most classical western fantasy are either a trickster type character are very i'll say holier than now you know that perfect race but we all know from the bosmer and the the uh the Altmer and stuff, they they have a higher opinion of themselves, almost like way departed from the Western fantasy type type feel. So it's kind of it's interesting how the orcs kind of share a, a similarity with Western fantasy, and the el- normal elves do not. All right, off my little rabbit trail. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. I get on those, and we will move back on to orcs. 
they had no special resistances in Skyrim. Now, they did have a Berserker Rage power, which was pretty nice. They took half the damage, but did double damage for 60 seconds. They also had increased skills of heavy armor, block, enchanting, one-handed smithing, and two-handed weaponry. Let's see, in ESO, their expertise is in heavy armor. They have faster regeneration of health by 15%. They have increased health by 6% and increased stamina by 6%. No resistances, and their special is sprinting is faster by 9% and costs less by 12%. That one's a little strange. I, I don't even see how sprinting gets into that at all really that is that is really a strange i mean if you had to give a, a special benefit it's just like sprinting for maybe they're trying to bring in that charge kind of mechanic but when you sprint in eso you can't use any of your weapon skills you are literally running and it makes you feel like you're it's meant to be running away essentially it seems like because you can't use any of your weapon skills it's not like you're charging the enemy to hurt them because you're locked out of weapon skills and orcs in general just from their lore don't run away so it's it's kind of a weird racial all right um we're gonna move on to the ebonheart pack now and we are going to start with the dunmer the dark elves <laughs> her dirty dark elves as she says um, these guys had a 50% resistance to fire. They also had a special power called Ancestor's Wrath. Opponents getting too close take 8 points of fire damage per second for 60 seconds. They had increased skills in destruction magic, alchemy, alteration, illusion, light armor, and sneaking. And they learned the spell Sparks off the bat where they didn't need to find a book for it. In ESO, they have an expertise in dual wielding. They have no faster regeneration, but they have increased maximum of stamina by 6% and magicka by 9%. But there's a little note here that says the Dunmer have two separate boosts to max magicka. One is 6% and one is 3% for the 9% here. I'm... I'm looking at the uh, the list, and that's that star. I don't think they actually have increased maximum magic or um, increased magical stamina. I think those two are supposed to be together. I well, maybe I don't know. It could be wrong. I'm, I'm trying to read the graph here, um, but yeah, it's it's kind of weird that they if they had two separate stat boosts for six percent and three percent. How are they going to factor that in? Because I know, like, in other games where if you had a racial bonus, it goes 6% off your base, and then the other percent would be off of what you currently have. I wonder if that's what they're doing or how they're combining it. I don't, I don't know why they just wouldn't. So, okay, they have 9 instead of having a 6 and a 3. That's kind of weird math-wise. Anyway, continue. They're... They have increased resistance to fire by 30, and their special is boost spell power with fire effects by 3. So, a boost spell power with... Oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. So they have the resist fire by 30, but they actually do more with fire. 
So I don't even like fire, and I might be a dark elf. So that's a well, that's that's kind of weird. Well, I I know that's that kind of fits with their ancestors' wrath because that was supposed to be fire damage. So it I can see that extra boost to using fire destruction staff spells and stuff like that. It makes sense. So okay, that fits. Up next is my favorite, the Nords. Um, they had 50% resistance to Frost in Skyrim. They also had a special power called Battle Cry, which caused the targets to flee for 30 seconds. They had increased uh, skill lines of two-handed weaponry. That was their main. That was their primary. And they had more in block, light armor, one-handed smithing, and speechcraft. What I have here is the Nord's expertise is in two-handed weapons. They have faster regeneration of health by 15%. They have increased maximum health by 3%. They have increased resistance to cold by 30. And their special is, oh, they have a boost to armor rating, but there's no number as to how much of a boost. It just says boost to armor rating. Um, there are places to find that numbers in in their basics. I know it's no, I know it's not a lot, not not enough to be oh my goodness, amazing armor rating. But they will have maybe a two or three percent boost to armor. Um, next up on the line is the Argonians, and the Argonians had a fifty percent resistance to disease. They had water breathing. And they said it had higher unarmed damage. Doesn't give me a number currently. Their special power was called Hiss Skin. And they recovered health 10 times faster for 60 seconds. That was kind of beastly, to be honest. Um, their initial bonuses were in lockpicking, alteration, light armor, pickpocket, restoration, and sneaking. At first, I was a little curious why they went the way they did until you read that to me now it makes a little more sense the argonians expertise is in the restoration staff they don't have any faster regeneration but they have an increased maximum in health by three percent they have increased resistance to poison and disease by 21 and they have a bunch of specials their specials are they have a boost to healing received by six percent their potion potion effectiveness is increased by 15%, and their swimming speed is increased by 50%. Well, considering there's no way of going underwater in ESO currently, 50% uh, swim speed makes sense for the water breathing. It's a nice, nice change in there. They didn't do anything concerning... The sneakiness of the Argonians from previous games. They they went completely with the restoration here, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely did with with uh, Argonians. It's other than the his skin, I mean they didn't really have anything that really spoke to healing really. Um other than healing of themselves. But uh I know from playing the beta and from some of the lore that you see when you're in there, they are kind of nature loving hippies, if you will. So I can kind of get where the restoration comes in because they are all about their trees. You know, them hiss, man. 
oh, so they're, they're nature-loving hippies? I might just have to become an Argonian then. Might be time to change my mind on a race. Yeah, and they have scaly skin, so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and the last one is the one that could be in any faction within ESO, the Imperials. Now, the Imperial special ability, and technically speaking, if this was in an MMO, every Chinese gold farmer would have this, and you should probably think about it too if this was it. Imperials always find more gold. That was their that was their their special ability called Imperial Luck. They always find more gold. So if this ever went into an MMO, every Chinese gold finder farmer would be an Imperial. Just just saying. Now they had a special power called Voice of the Emperor. Calms nearby people for sixty seconds once a day. They had initial bonuses in restoration, block, destruction, enchanting, heavy armor, and one-handed. For the Imperials, their expertise is in one-handed and shields. They have no faster regeneration, but they have increased maximum health by 12% and increased stamina by 10%. They have no increased resistances, and their special is they restore health when dealing melee damage. Huh. Those are, those are some interesting racials. From the Imperial, it's kind of like a, they're um, they're almost like a Red Guard. They just went with health instead of stamina. All right, so those are the differences between the single-player test game Skyrim, and yes, the older ones changed slightly. There were variations, but we went with Skyrim for this, and the Elder Scrolls Online. The next part of our discussion that we want to go off of is we're going to compare our notes of what makes the best of. In our opinion, mind you, what makes the best in these roles for the min-maxers? For the tank? For the melee DPS? For the archer? For the caster DPS? And for the healer? So, and then we're going to compare my own and Thais's opinions to the Tamriel Foundry article concerning uh, the racial bonuses. And see how different the group of us think concerning these so first off in terms of tank who do you feel these would make the best initial tank from racial perspective i would have to say the orcs just from the sheer faster regeneration of health and the increased maximum of health and stamina even though they don't have any resistances that's a lot of just sheer numbers right there and they also have the expertise in heavy armor so in early levels they really seem like they they have it going on for being the good tanks right there you know that's a really good point and i'm it kind of like they want you to look at heavy armor but i'm not even gonna look at the expertise for this my opinion honestly uh, see my problem is with that whole line of regeneration how much is regeneration really matter in this game in particular world of warcraft another example trolls had faster health regeneration by like three times okay but it it did not scale in that game so at the beginning of the game like the first couple levels it was amazing because trolls regenerated five hit points per 
you know, every second versus a standard one per every second in combat. That didn't mean squat near endgame. And it did not, it, it didn't, they didn't use it. It was worthless. That's what I'm really curious. Like, how much is this regeneration gonna matter? Is it, is it a multiplier? Does it scale? That's where it's gonna depend for me. If it's a flat, a flat multiplier all the time, like everyone regenerates five health a second. Okay, we'll just say that right off the board. And it doesn't scale with level or doesn't scale with max health. That, that skill is going to be worthless after the first couple levels. That's the part that I don't know. And I'm wary of that. Well, then I feel like I have to change my opinion to Imperial because they have the higher increased maximum of health and stamina and they restore health when dealing melee damage. Now, they might not do very much damage for because they're a tank, but you, you really made me think there about the health regeneration so I think I'm going to change my vote to Imperial yeah that's what I'm leaning to because an extra 12% health and 10% stamina they have more health and stamina than anyone else right off the bat with the exception of the red guards they have that same 10% but they don't have that health um, and to restore health when dealing damage again we don't know if this is if it scales at all, or if it's a flat, you know, oh, they restore 10 health. That's great at levels 1 to 10, you know, but after that, 10 health doesn't mean much. That's where I think the Red Guard would come up ahead, because stamina, you don't require as much of it to do as much things. You know what I mean? Like, stamina is one of those things that your abilities have a set amount, and you only need to recover that. And that's where that'll be helpful. Like, even the Nord has that 15% stamina, and they have 3% extra health. Before the addition of the Imperials, I would have went with Nord would be the best tank, because they have 3% extra health, they have the boost to armor rating, and they have that health regeneration. Now, if that health regeneration is actually viable, then, oh my goodness, yes. Like, if it's if it's significant, then yeah. Yeah, you know, that will, it doesn't have to be much, but it has to scale. If it doesn't scale, that's where the problem comes in. Um, that's the same with most of the specials as well. But as of right now, since I don't know how that regeneration is going to work, um, I will have to say Imperial would be the best tank as well. All right. Uh, next up on the list, we'll do the Melee Damage Dealer. Who do you feel would be the best melee damage dealer? That's a little more difficult for me. Uh, initially, uh, not not initially. Let's right now. I feel like the best melee damage dealer is honestly the Khajiit because of their special. Now, like you said, we don't know if it's going to scale or anything yet, but the. The melee critical rating increased by 3% and the critical damage by 15%, completely ignoring the, the increased maximum, which they don't have any, or the faster regeneration of health by 15%, their special just seems so nice if it's done correctly with the right kind of abilities. I think that the Khajiit really could be powerhouses because of those specials. I'm actually going to disagree with you on this one, and this is the main reason why I say that. The Khajiit have the 
bonus to stealth and and stealth damage. Have you encountered stealth in ESO and how it worked? No. Okay. Essentially, how it worked is when you're stealth, only the first hit counts as stealth damage. After you unleash a shot, you're out of stealth. So it only that that stealth damage and stealth boost radius only really affect that first shot. Okay. So that's a big boost because you know naturally with ESO. It's going to be kind of hard to do that whole line of sight kind of thing. So you're hidden until you pull damage. That's That's been in uh, WoW with rogues. Like, they were stealth until they hit that first one. Then they're out in the open. Dark Age of Camelot did this. Almost every stealth game in an MMO doesn't let you remain stealth after that first shot. So I'm not really going to go with the Khajiit. I'm actually going to say the best melee DPS will be a Red Guard. Because of that 10% increase max to stamina and restoring stamina when dealing melee damage stamina is the melee's bread and butter for doing powerhouse attacks and they have increased cap as well as pulling stamina in when they're attacking within melee it even says within melee attack so that in particular makes me think that they will probably be the best damage dealers outside of stealth naturally so that's what i'm thinking well, now I just feel silly now, don't I? No, you made very good points. I was just countering. Like, that crit damage and stuff from the Khajiit is going to be really, really nice. I think they'll be a great dagger-type class. But I think in terms of sustained damage, I think Khajiit will probably have a better burst. But the Red Guard will be better sustained damage overall. And they'll be able... like. Even with the Khajiit, with their burst damage, they burst out of stamina. Then they have to wait to regenerate, whereas a Red Guard will be regenerating and have a higher pool to draw from. That's where I'm coming from with a Red Guard. All right, moving on to the best Archer type. What do you think? This is easy, obviously. The Bosmer. Like, you, you're really... There's there's no other choice that stands out except for I'll use yours here, the red guard. That's definitely an option. But with the Bosmir's special of the increased damage, and they have the faster regeneration of the stamina, the increased maximum of the of the stamina, which is lower than the red guard, but their damage gets an automatic boost right off the bat. And I just think that that. That works. That works really well in in conjunction with the rest of the racials. I, I definitely am going for Bosmir here. You know, I'm torn. I'm actually thinking Khajiit would be better because of the stealth damage and the melee critical and the critical damage increase. Because most archers, and you could tell me this from, I know your test play style and our fans out here. If you play an archer you're generally going to be stealthy. That's You don't want to be seen because you know if they get up to you, you're, you're screwed. I think, you know, other than the stamina, like, again, faster stamina regeneration, we don't know how, how if it's fixed or if it scales. If it scales, oh, that's going to mean a lot. Like, I would even change my bet on best tank to being a Nord because of the scaled health regeneration if it scales. But... If, since we don't know that, I'm gonna I'm just gonna go off my previous experience and assuming it doesn't scale well, that that bonus to sneak damage with a bow, 
I think Khajiit will probably be one of the better archers. All right, what's next on our our list? It's okay. Uh, the last two are caster DPS and a healing type class. Okay, um, let's go ahead and look at caster. Some people may kind of put these two together, but we're going to separate them out a little bit just just because um, for our own personal uh, feeling. As for the best caster, who do you feel would be the best caster? You know what? I, I want you to go first on this one. Who do you think is the best caster DPS? <laughs> well, see, it, it, it depends because... I think overall the best caster is naturally the Altmer, as they were in every game, because they have the faster magical regeneration, which again, regeneration, I'm still kind of whatever, but they have 10% max right off the bat for Magicka, and they have a flat damage increase for cold, fire, and shock damage, so right off the bat, especially if they're playing the Sorcerer class, which is all lightning damage, I think, except for some of their special and dark magic, um, that's a flat damage increase no matter what the close follow-up for me would be the dunmer who boosts spell power with fire effects by three uh, but only if they're using a fire destruction staff they they really would be kind of locked into that fire staff um but they have increased maximum to magicka in different ways so it depends on how that increased maximum that six and three percent if it's if it's six percent of your base and then a three percent on top of that like including your gear that would put them above altmer in terms of magic now if it's just six and three of base and then you know your leveled base you probably won't be as good but judging from being able to do anything off the top altmer i think would be the better caster with a dunmer following up very close I completely agree with you on the Altmer. I really do. There are some situations where fire just might not be viable if you're playing a Dunmer. Like, you need to go with, with another type. And with the Altmer having boosts in all three types, right there from the start, they just scream magic caster at me. So my vote it goes with yours, goes to the Altmer. Very nice. And last up, who do you feel would be the best healer? Do you want me to go first? I can tell you this one right off the bat, because you have that puzzled look on your face. Yeah, let's let's have you go first on this one, too. Breton. And this is why. Breton have 10% increased magicka, they have 6 to all spell, and they reduce spell cost by 3%. I'm sorry, but casters or healers need their magic to heal people, depending also on how bad the people you're playing with are and need extra healing. That extra magic resist for you means you stay alive a little longer. You have more magic to heal, and reducing the cost of your spells makes it, you know, better. Now, some people like I've heard toss around by Argonian, but based on this thing, they they get bonuses to health received, so they're the best healee. So if you want to heal anyone, you want to heal an Argonian. But they don't have anything in particular that I see that makes them better healers. I think Breton would make the best healing, just overall. 
everything I wanted to say about why I chose Brighton, you said it for me. I'm sitting over here on the other side of the room, like cheering as he's saying why Brighton would be the best healer. I, I agree with you 100%. The fact that they have resistance to spell and that they take less damage, they're not going to be healing themselves as much as they're healing everyone else. And I usually almost always play a healer. So I know how hard it is to balance your mana with casting heals across the, the wide range of, of players. So even that little bit, even if it's only a little bit of a reduced mana cost, it counts. Like you, you can see it no matter what. And the increased maximum magicka, again, doesn't matter how much it actually is, you'll you'll be able to tell. You'll you'll be able to see it. So yeah, Breton all the way on the healer. Awesome. Well, let's now check to see how our predictions are against Tamarill Foundry, the theory crafting powerhouse that they are. According to them, in terms of the tanking role, that they have Nord, Redguard, and Orzammar as their tanking races of choice. And they said Nord, for increases to maximum health, health regeneration, and armor, give pretty much everything a tank needs, making Nord arguably the most ideal tanking race. Redguard, with the impressive stamina regeneration of the Redguard, make them an attractive option for tanks who need large stamina reserves in order to frequently block, bash, dodge, and break free of crowd control, followed by Orzammar. Increases health and health regeneration to prove a great asset for tanking characters. I'm going to preface this by saying this article was released prior to us knowing what the um, racials were for Imperial. I think Imperial would probably be top of their list. Just judging by where Redguard is and the fact that the health regeneration pretty much puts them... The maximum health and health regeneration puts them on the same level as Nord... But the health drain would make it easier to be healed. And I think that would probably push them up there. So I think the Imperial would be on that tanking list. But I did say that if the health regeneration was different, my Nord would probably be pushing up there as well. And you said Orc. And they're in here as well. Now, they did. let's go to Melee DPS section here. And they have Khajiit and Redguard for melee DPS. They have Khajiit saying they have one of the most unique and irreplaceable racial bonuses in the game with increased critical chance and critical damage using melee weapons. Their extra stealth damage is an added bonus for melee characters with health regeneration being useful for any frontline skirmisher. Uh, as for Redguard, the remarkable stamina regeneration of a Redguard would be extremely valuable for characters who want to leverage a lot of weapon abilities in combat, enabling them to use stamina, consuming attacks more regularly. Now, I did say Khajiit, and I'm happy that was the one that was first, because it means I finally get the win on something. <laughs> well, like we said, oh, excuse me, I'm chewing on ice here. Um, I, I, I think daggers and stuff like that, like a dual-wielding dagger-type class for these guys would be amazing. They would make that perfect assassin-type character. So, yeah, I could see that. I just, I fail, my, me personally, I fail to see where the stealth damage is going to affect much, especially with only one shot. I could be wrong. I'm more of the, coming from the raid background and needing to, even with the Adventure Zones coming out, depending on what form they take, 
I think it's going to require more of a sustained fighting rather than the burst damage. There's not going to be one boss you have to kill. There could be several or groups of enemies where only that first attack will actually mean much. All right, we're going to move on to the archery. And Tamaril Foundry has Khajiit and Orzammar listed. Khajiit, somewhat surprisingly, Khajiit are far superior choice to the Bosmer. Their critical damage applies equally to bow as a physical weapon, even though it's not melee, and therefore the racial bonuses of Khajiit are considered are considerably superior to those of the Bosmer. Um, Orzammar, the orcs will surprisingly make useful archers in PvB to their inherent faster sprinting speed, allowing them to more effectively kite enemy players in combat. I don't really agree with that. Because, again, the kiting is when you are sprinting, you can't use weapons. So, yeah, you're getting away, but then you're also out of stamina. So even by turning around, you're out of stamina. I don't really agree with their choices here. Yeah. Uh, the next up, now they didn't split up their healer and their spell casting, But we'll just go up from, from here. They have the Altmer listed as number one, followed by Breton, followed by Dunmer. The Altmer, magic, maximum magicka, magicka regeneration, and increased elemental damage take makes it hard to argue against Altmer as a superior race for spellcasting, particularly mages focused on damage output. So right there is ca- the damage caster that it puts out. Um, here they say here, for Breton, like the Altmer, Breton have increased magicka pools, as well as extremely valuable reduced spell cost which make it incredibly helpful for healers who need high casting efficiency. So right there, they mark theirs as number one for healers as well. And then the Dunmer, while not as universally uh, applicable as Altmer and Breton, Dunmer are an excellent choice for Dragon Knights and Spellcasters focusing on fire damage with double dose uh, of increased magicka as well as heightened spell power from fire spells. You know, I didn't even think about that, but since Dragon Knights are all fire, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, they have, they're going to be amazing Dragon Knights. So, they also have a little blurb here at the end about the rest. You may have noticed that we had not mentioned Bosmer, Argonian, or Imperial with regards to being optimal for certain role. I'm going to leave Imperial out because they don't know this. It says, unfortunately for Bosmer, they're almost entirely overshadowed by Khajiit, who receive similar but substantially superior bonuses to their woodland allies. Argonians are an excellent choice for lore or role-playing reasons, but their racial passives offer no compelling reason to choose them above other races for any combat role. Um, hopefully between uh, the time of now and launch, Zenimax can adjust the effectiveness of these races slightly to make them more compelling for mechanical reasons. And they say later on that Imperials, they can only speculate. But now that we know, um, I, I think the Imperials were where we were sitting. So that comes to the end of our discussion topic. That was a fun, that was a fun discussion topic on racials. I did thoroughly enjoy that. It was almost like playing a game. But then of course, anything that concerns you when it comes to me and something like this, I tried to win, and I'm happy I won at least once with my choice on who I thought was was the better at something. So that was a little personal win for me. You should see her here, guys. She's like puffing out her chest, being like, yep, look at me. I'm the winner. <laughs> anyway, so 
we're going to move on to my favorite time of the podcast, which is the Tales of Tamriel, our story time. This week, um, I will have my story, and that's all we're going to do for this week. Um, I had an add-on adventure this week, because I wanted to adjust and make my game even more realistic than I could. I'm still doing it on Legendary, uh, but I added several mods for HD flowers to make the splotched flowers actually look like more flowers. I got the Real Vision ENB mod as well as the lighting overhaul. This makes it substantially darker in dungeons and stuff. And uh, she's over here laughing already because she knows what I'm going to say. It, it was one of those things where she's like, oh great, now not only do you get killed by all the enemies, now you're not going to even see it coming. And that's pretty much what it was because with the lighting overhaul, they take out all the uh, ambient the ambient light sources and only light sources such as fire from torches or things of that nature are, are luminescent plants will actually light up so when you go into a dungeon it is almost pitch black when you go into houses only the hearth fire lights glowing and there's all these shadows it was actually difficult for me to sit here and watch him play because i'm terrified of the dark it it, it chills me to my core. I, I hate the dark. So watching him play and the dungeons being so pitch black to where you can't see anything unless you have a torch or those luminescent mushrooms on the wall. It was terrifying because you, you don't know where anything's going to come from, especially if you're with Draugr and you can hear them breathing in the crypts but you can't see them and all you can see are that the eyes their eyes glowing it was it was dreadful i, I had to stop watching because I, I was just terrified on my side of the room yeah i do remember that that's one of the creepiest thing is when you hear them wake up you hear them moving and then they slowly open their eyes it's just that piercing blue eyes and that's all you see in the darkness? Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, it took me a little while to get these going because uh, I had helped our previous guest host with his, uh, working on his, and we had a lot of crash to desktops. I didn't have as many add-ons as he did, um, but it did. I did have one or two crash to desktops from the lighting overhauls that I had to go back and reconfigure the ENB um, a little bit to get it not to crash because I think I uh, missed part of one of the dll's was missing i was getting that crash so after getting that together in the lighting overhaul i rebooted up my legendary uh game through of skyrim and the first thing i decided to do because at this point i was like 24 i decided to go back and take revenge on the trolls at great water watch this is one of the first dungeons i went into in episode one that i was explaining where we went in there and they rolled me because we couldn't do much but now, I'm wearing heavy armor again. I got rid of that light armor crud. And I had Lydia all decked out with light armor and a fire enchant sword and shield. And we also had Hottie, my conjured um, atron flame atronach. And we went back there with, you know, with force. I had fire enchant on my bow. And we went in there. And it took a while because we still had to eat through that health. But we actually did manage to kill both of the trolls in Greywater watch i don't know if i'm ever gonna level my heavy armor I, I, and i'm only gonna say this because i'm so terrified 
right? <laughs> that I always send Lydia in first. She's got her sword, her shield, and she just does amazing work just blocking these guys. So I'm okay. Well, we clear it out, and I found uh, Froki's bow hidden in the cave. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's a, a radiant... It's not even a radiant quest. It's a quest you can find out. I think it's near Riften. I may be wrong. Um, where a guy said he lost his bow and he doesn't know where it's at. If you return it to him, you complete a quest. It, it, it's, it got a stamina enchant. I almost broke it, but I decided I'll, I'll finish the quest. Because um, it counts as one of those things where you have to become Thane of the Thane of the Hold, and they require you to help out the people. It counts as one of those quests. So I decided to do that. So I kept it. I threw it in my house in, in Whiterun. Um, and I decided to head west through Whiterun. And I had a very specific goal in mind when I did this. But for now, I'll leave that just to myself. Um, as I was walking across, I actually found the place called Secunda's Kiss. It's actually a giant's... A giant's... Uh, encampment there were two or three giants there and i decided i was gonna attempt to kill them so i summoned hottie i got lydia and i started shooting the the uh, giant and i'm like all right all right let's go and lydia runs up and starts tanking the guy she's doing a great job now i'm starting to get a little worried because when he does his big attacks and the ground shake she starts falling to the ground so her health is dropping rapidly we're plucking away at the one guy, and we can see the other giant in the distance looking at us and doing his threatening, I'm coming to get you stuff. So I'm like, oh, great. We have to kill this guy fast before the other guy gets here. Well, it's getting pretty good. We got his health down to about mm, 15%. And it, you know, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. All of a sudden, Lydia goes down. I'm like, oh, crud. He stops like he she doesn't die naturally because of when they go to that oh please don't hit me anymore they the npcs don't don't finish them off it turns and starts to attack me i'm like oh great by this point in time the second giant is already on his way to us as well and i'm like okay all right pull out my sword i pulled out my shield i'm like all right let's do this he slams the ground. I go flying 20 feet up in the air. Dead. One hit. And I cry. <laughs> I, uh, I have no idea how I'm going to survive these. I need to either increase my hit points a little bit and make it so that I can actually survive these attacks. It is rough. So I had to reload the save. And I went back to Secunda's Kiss. But this time I decided, you know, I can't handle the giants yet. I'm going to bypass them off. Now, I continue heading west along the southern mountain range in Whiterun for a specific reason. is because I know of a cave called Bloated Man's Grotto. This is part of a later Daedric quest with, concerning her scene um, that I'm not going to go into yet. But I know that it's in there. However, for a, a public service announcement to anyone who's played Skyrim and hasn't discovered this, if you go there before you pick up the Hercene quest in Falkreath. It is actually a Talos shrine and sanctuary where you can go in and you can recover Bolvar's Oathblade. He was a missing blades agent. 
And when you go in there, he actually, it's, it's pretty sad. You find a note on the altar saying that he is the last, the last blade to survive the, uh, th- um, the Thalmor attack on Cloud Ruler Temple in Cyrodiil. And he's fled north into Skyrim to hide. And he found the sanctuary, and that's where he's hiding. But he knows they're coming for him. They're right outside. But he refuses to, as he says, dishonor this holy place. So he goes out uh, bravely to meet his death. He knows he's going to die. But he's not going to allow them to come in and get him in this holy sanctuary. So he lets his sword down and says, Anyone who finds themselves worthy to pick up this oath blade, go forth and defend our empire from the Thalmor. So he goes out there and he dies, and you can find his sword there, one of the blade's uh, katanas that are there. And it has an awesome, it has, I think, a shock and stamina drain enchant. It's really good. So I have that now, and that's what I was going after. But oh my goodness, my adventure with so many saber giants, and bears. Oh my. There are so many of them. The entire way, the entire trek there, it was nothing but saber tooths, bears, and giants. I got attacked by the giants at Secunda's Kiss. I got, I probably killed four or five saber tooths and at least that many bears on my way to the place. And there were four bears I saw inside uh, Bloated Man's Grotto, as well as one saber tooth cat and the. Uh, the Spriggans, which also made it even harder because they can enchant the bears to make them more powerful. And they're sitting there with their life drain. Oh, I was in there for probably a good 45 minutes or so trying to fight these guys off because those Spriggans are so tough. But if you use fire spells, I notice that their health goes down a lot faster than normal abilities. And it's so sad because I love Spriggans. They're just so pretty and they're just so full of nature. And I want to make every single one of them my my BFF in life. But they really are. Remember my Spriggan adventure? It's just I died over and over because they're just so powerful and you don't expect it. You don't see it coming. And with you playing on Legendary, I imagine you got one-shotted maybe once or twice. It wasn't as bad as a one-shot, but it was pretty close. If I got hit with their life drain at the beginning, it took me down to about 30% health in one shot. So I could not take two hits from them. I had to make sure I had a heal spell ready for that first initial barrage. So it was really, really tough. But after recovering the Oath Blade, I headed back to Whiterun again. My playthrough, I'm not doing any fast travel. It's walking anywhere. The only type of fast travel I will do is the in-game um, in-game mechanics of fast travel, whereas I take the cart, because I, I see that as a lore reason of I'm paying someone to drive me there. Only fast travel I'll do. So I'm hiking back to Whiterun to offload all my gear. And I actually had a ring that had a blocking enchant on it, so I disenchanted that and enchanted... Um, Lydia's shield for extra blocking because she's my tank and I I don't know where I'd be without her. And while I was outside, this is actually something really cool I noticed. We're both wearing the dwarven armor. But I never looked closely at it before. But if you look closely, there's different helms for males and females. 
the the Dwemer had female helms and male helms. If if you ever get a chance, whatever character you have, if you play a male or a female, put a put a helm on and they get a follower of the opposing race and put a helm or opposing sex and put a the helm on and you'll see the difference. The female helm looks more feminine. The lips are closed, they have the female lip the way female lips are shaped in that little pucker, if you will, um, narrow cheeks and whatnot. And whereas the males have a kind of an angry snarl on their face. It, it's really interesting. I, it's one of those small things that Skyrim had in there that it's like, why would they take the extra time to, um, commission an artist to, to design that when I, I have, uh, I forget how many hours and it's a very long time. And this is the first time I've noticed that it is crazy. But after I noticed that and I stared at that for like 10 minutes and called out to uh, the Easter, come on, look at this, look at this. I decided I'm going to head south to Falkreath now because I'm, I, I have a few other quests, but I'm not really touching them. I don't really want to touch any of the Daedric quests until I hit about 45 because that's when the maxed out, um, the items that can level with you max out and since i'm on legendary i don't want to go for the nightingale bow i don't want to go for um dawnbreaker those kind of things because they have a max level cap that caps out at 45 if you get it lower than that the damage is lower but at this point i think i hit 25 or something like that so and i've barely made it out of white run in reality i figure i i will get to 40 fairly quickly and be able to work on some of those quests but the main reason i'm heading down to Falkreath at this point in time is i want the new house i want to dig into the um the hearth the hearth fire expansion get my house down there and and work on that so i'm gonna have to go into Falkreath and help out that terrible jarl down there and uh become thane so once i do that i can get that house that was my goal now as I was walking up down the road, I actually found a farmer who is offering a painted cow to a to a giant's camp. He tells you to move along or else, you know, he doesn't want the giants to mistake me as part of the offering. And it's kind of neat. He's not involved with the quest at all, but he when he has a few dialogue options, you're like, "Well, what are you doing out here?" And he goes, "I'm going out to offer this painted calf to the giant." to the giants so that they don't attack my livestock he's like it might be a folk tale most people might not believe it but i've been sacrificing these cows to the giants yearly and i've never had a giant kill my livestock and you ask like well why are you painting it and they go well when you paint it it shows the giants that you're giving it to them willingly and that's all he does that's all he says and i just thought it was kind of neat so i'm like all right well i asked him if he needed any help because no i don't need any help because i thought it might be a quest and it wasn't. He's just like, no, no, I got this in hand. Uh, after I'm done here, I'm going to go down to uh, the nearest inn and have myself a mead. I'll see you there if you're there. I'm like, no, well, all right, there, good sir. Don't get killed by giants. And I walk off, considered down, south down the road. And while I was making my way south, I went down along the the pass between Bleak Falls Barrow and the Throat of the World, down along River Run, or Riverwood, not River Run. I'm not in Game of Thrones right now. I'm in Skyrim. And I actually had a radiant quest to kill a wolf in Girder's house for the companions. Since I was down there, I walked in there and uh, 
killed that wolf and I have a whole load of soul gems saved up and what I want to do with the soul gems is I want to start working on my enchanting so I actually went earlier when I was in uh, Whiterun and I got the soul trap spell from Ferengar and as I've been going down I've been soul trapping wolves and things along those lines on my way to Falkyrie trying to build up enough gems so that way I can do some enchanting because I desperately, desperately need to start enchanting my gear for some spell resist. Because I still, um, I still need to go back to uh, what is that? Pale Moon, Pale Moon Redoubt or something like that, where they kicked my bum the last time, and I need some lightning resist on my armor. So that's that's probably going to be next week what I'm going to work on. But that's where I ended for this week's Tales of Tamriel. And I didn't die that much, thank goodness. But I definitely enjoyed the updated lighting. It made it feel very, very realistic, and I enjoyed it. At first I did a torch, and then I realized I don't want to carry around half a pound per in torch, and I picked up Mage Light, and I've been good ever since. So that's the end of my tales of Tamriel for this week. We're going to move on to Faiz's favorite part of the episode, the dramatic reading of a book of the Elder Scrolls universe. Um, this week, we have a treat for you, and we all get to see how well Faiz does in a classic storybook reading, where we have picked A Tragedy in Black, a folk tale about black soul gems for her to read this week. So, with no further ado, I present Faiz as she reads A Tragedy in Black. The author of A Tragedy in Black is anonymous, which is kind of intriguing. A folk tale from the time of the Oblivion Crisis. The Dramora looked upon the young boy with disdain. He looked to be no more than 17 or 18, on the cusp of manhood. You, you have summoned me? Mother says I'm good with spells. Someday I'm going to be a wizard, maybe even archmage. And what would your mother know of magic, boy? She's a wizard. She's an enchanter at the Arcane University. Ah, another dabbler in the mystic arts. I'm certain she is barely mediocre. You shut up. I read the scroll. I get to tell you what to do. The Dramora was silent. Compulsion bound his voice. I want to know how to make a magic dress. I need it for her birthday. The Dramora's answer was more silence. You have to tell me. It's in the rules. Freed from the previous compulsion, the Dramora answered, First, you need a soul gem. I happen to have one and would gladly give it to you for so noble a cause. Really? Why do I need it? With a hidden smile, the Dramora handed over the dull black gem. It is not enough to cast a spell upon an inert object. Magic requires thought, intent, will and emotion. The soul powers the enchantment. The bigger the soul, the more powerful the enchantment. So how big is the one in the soul gem? Oh, that one is empty. You'll have to fill it. But it can hold the largest of souls easily. Do you know how to do that? No, the young man said sullenly. Let me show you. You cast the spell like this. The tendrils of the soul trap spell spilled from his fingers and surrounded the boy. The young man's eyes went wide. 
I didn't feel anything, he complained. How about now? The Dramora asked, plunging his talons into the youth's ribcage. His heart beat only once before it was pulled from his chest. Quickly, the Dramora snatched back the black souljan, just as the youth died. His soul tried to flee, but was trapped by the spell and drawn into the gem. Only black soul gems can hold the souls of men and elves. Your mother obviously never told you never to accept a freely given gift from a summoned Dramora, he said to the corpse. You see, it breaks the conjuration, freeing the summoned from the summoner. Now let's go find your mother. After all, I have another black soul gem. <laughs> that was awesome. I was hoping to see her do multiple voices for that. That was really cool. <laughs> so, did you like that book? I did. That was fun. Although I know I'm probably going to get comments about the fact that the little boy sounds like a little girl. But let's face it, I can't really do a manly voice. So I, I did the best I could with what I have. All I could see with you is uh, when you say about our one cat, how he has a female meow even though he's a boy you're like he meows like meow meow you're like i would expect a deeper meow like meow <laughs> i could see you doing that for a male voice just over exaggerating to the extreme <laughs> i thought about it but i'm like oh it, it might sound kind of silly so even though he was 18 or 19 he's he's kind of a feminine in some ways but that was that was a lot of fun i, I that was an interesting story when when egg first introduced it to me I could not wait to read it that was that was a lot of fun thank you for choosing that book I'll have to look and see if I can find any more that tell a story like that because those those are fun those are fun I'll have to dig through all right moving on to the community spotlight this week I've chosen to spotlight the ESO Lodge they're an awesome fan website or a fan site dedicated to player guilds in the Elder Scrolls Online. They are a repository for guild recruitment and they have a forum for game discussion as well as guild recruitment. So if you happen to have a guild, you should really register it there on ESO Lodge so that other players can find your guild. Likewise, if you're a player looking for a guild, you should head on over, over to ESOLodge.com and peruse the selection of guilds to see if you can find a guild that is a perfect fit for you. So thank you, ESO Lodge, for being a great part of the Elder Scrolls Online community. All right. So we actually had a good number of feedback from um, members of the Elder Scrolls Online community and some of our fans, and I wanted to read off a few of the messages that we got this week from our different fans, from different mediums. On Twitter... Uh, from at Drew underscore money. He goes, Dirty Bosmer here. He was remarking about our other episode when I kept calling the elves dirty and dirty elves. <laughs> Thanks again for another great show. Love to hear both opinions of the game, especially when they differ. Um, I responded back to him in, in a uh, Twitter message. And if you do respond to us on Twitter, we will respond back. I've tried not to miss any messages so if i've missed a message from you you should yell at me anyway i responded back saying thank you what you know for um liking the show and following us and he goes yes uh, most treat me as if i dined on a family member because i call him a dirty bosmer he's like question perhaps for next show our thoughts on only getting eight character slots 
with ESO not having servers or shards like in other games, they have the mega server technology where everyone is essentially on one server. It's not that case. So for you techie people out there, you guys know the mega server is not one server. It's just the the front face says one server, but the back end is where the splitting is going to come up. It's going to be spread across multiple different hosts, I'm sure. But the technologies, you still don't select, you know, blood spill server or carnage server or whatever the case may be. You just sign in. As such, <clears throat> in other games, when you select a server, you got normally it's characteristic of eight slots or ten slots per server. Warcraft, for instance, you can have ten characters per server up to 50 characters across all servers. With their mega server technology, you only get eight slots. What do you, what do you feel about only eight slots, these? Personally, I know I won't be using all eight because with with how ESO works, where you can do so much with just one character, with there only being four classes, I, I think the most I would need is is four, maybe if I even venture out that far. So with only having eight character slots. I think it's too many. You, you, there's no feasible reason where you would use up all those slots. And if a person happens to use them all, what else could you possibly need or want to make that would go past eight slots? So I think that that's the perfect amount of characters you could ever need. I can see four. I, I get where you're coming from. Like I alone, I'm not an alt character. I will have my Templar, and that's going to be the one I play almost all the time. Not saying I won't have other characters, because I'm probably going to do one of each of the classes just to get a feel for them and, you know, play when Thaise isn't around. Because we always play together, and if I level without her, she'll yell at me. But if it's on an alternate character, then she can't yell at me. So I'll just test out the other ones using those. But, see, here's one thing that I would think of is crafting. People used to have crafting alts where they just sat in cities and they were funneled mats. But the problem I see with that is you would have to level and explore as a crafter because of that crafting video that was released earlier. You have to go out to those crafting locales. You can't just sit in the city and craft everything because, say I make a crafting alt in other games, he would be level one and be max crafter. I know Warcraft added levels later on, but Dark Age of Camelot didn't, I don't believe, until later on. And even even when they added levels later on, you only had to be like level 20 before you could be max in a crafting skill. So I didn't have to level far. And they never left the city. But you couldn't do that here because if you were this crafter, max crafter, someone's like, oh, I want the, uh, the Of the Nightfall set. Well, then they're going to have to travel out to Stonefalls and out of, uh, I think it's Devon's Watch to the east and find it along... Uh, the one um the one mountain there that's where the crafting locale was and if they were level one like if they don't have leveling caps on the crafting they could they wouldn't make it out that far and especially if it's a higher level even if they're level 20 and they have to go out to uh, a level 50 zone they'll never make it so the purpose of crafting characters unless someone had one of each I could see it this way. Someone had one of each uh, thing up there for combat. 
and then one of each or just even one of the different crafting to do max crafting in one of the different professions and put all their skill points into it I don't know how many skill points you get. Maybe you could max out all the crafting on one per, on one character if you manage to spend it all on there. So you would need at least five at that point for one for each class plus a full-out crafting character. That you would have to level to 50 as well anyway. So I think eight is a lot for this because I really don't see the need. Um, I think it will get a little hairy, especially if they don't offer some sort of mentoring system i really hope they do uh the mentoring where you can level your character down to play with a friend but one of the issues that i had with the beta was phasing when you joined a party member if they were on a different part of the phase you couldn't see them i really think eso needs to add a feature of when someone phases to join their phase or whoever is the party leader whatever they phase into you phase in with them even if you've completed that quest or haven't to help out because otherwise it, it really segregates the community because if um i was trying to help a friend who got into the beta they they messaged me on facebook go i got into the beta are you are you in and i'm like well yeah i'm in and i had been playing already for several hours um and my character was 10 or 11 and they just started, so I went back to Bleak, Bleak Rock Isle to help them, and I couldn't see them for half of because the town was different for me because I advanced the storyline quest. I'd go to help them out in the world. Like, when we were out running around the world, we could see each other up until she got to a part that I did with a quest where maybe I burned the town down. All I saw was a burned-out town. She saw enemies. I couldn't even help her. There was no way for us to interact, so... This is where, currently, if they don't add a mentoring system, extra character slots would be needed to help your friends. Like, if you if your friend started, you would have to make a new character to level with them. You couldn't go back and join their phase and help them or anything like that. So I think that is, that's probably one of my biggest complaints about Elder Scrolls from the beta that I've experienced so far, is it really does segregate players with their phasing. Phasing is great, but there's gotta be a way of joining phasing. Um, kind of off topic but it really is that's where you'll start eating up character slots is if you have to start making characters to level with friends because you can't go back and help them but even so i will say this even if it were a game with servers you you would still be limited to slots so the essential problem of phasing would still affect in those games as well because you eventually will run out of slots unless you don't have friends and that's a whole different thing <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, uh, Drew underscore money, my dirty Bosmer friend, for your question on Twitter. Following up, we had another um, another question on Twitter from Krabby654. He goes, great episode, perfect music volume, which we were talking back and forth on Reddit. He's on Reddit as well. And uh, in one of the last episodes, I had tried to adjust the DB volume of one of our episodes because I thought the music was too low. And I made it too high in one of our episodes, so I lowered it back down, and that's where that comment came from. Um, in the beta notes for ESO, he says, I thought it said interact objects are instanced to players. Let me preference this by saying that quest items are instanced to players. One particular quest in the Ebonheart pack 
you had to steal a, a special wine bottle. There was a wine bottle of a special wine vintage someone wanted. You had to steal it. And it was always there. Like, I saw there were probably 15 players there, mostly because there was a trick to this quest, which I really like. It wasn't straightforward. The, the bartender would yell at you if you went to go grab. He's like, get away from there. Like, and there were probably 15 people trying to get this item because no one read the quest or knew what to do. You were actually supposed to go around the bar and talk to different people, and they gave you hints. And one of the hints was the guy is scared to death of rats. You can go out to the pier and catch a wharf rat, and then you could take it inside and release it in the tavern, and he freaks out and runs away, and then you can steal it. So quest items are instanced to a player. So someone else can grab it for you. You don't have to wait for it to respawn from my experience. Like that wine bottle, once people figured it out, they grabbed it. It was still there for me. But quest or crafting notes, treasure chest, and um, and enemies, like bosses and stuff, like world bosses, are not instanced to a player. If someone gets there first, you're out of luck. You have to wait for it to respawn. Thank you so much, Krabby, for that awesome question. Followed up, we actually had another message on Facebook from Ralph Lago. I'm sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. I got Ralph right, but the last name, I'm not really sure. <laughs> anyway, he says, great job, guys. I found your podcast the other day on iTunes and got caught up with everything ending up until yesterday's. Says, I subscribe to ESO Alliance, Elder Lore, and Skooma Junkies. All of them insightful and enjoyable, but differing in how they deliver. Yours is as well, in addition to your couple's approach, is refreshing and genuine. You each bring something different, but complementary to the table. I particularly like the several minutes of music you always use at the end. Keep it up. Well, thank you, Ralph, for that. Um... I think we had one more from Twitter, but I don't have it. I'll have to add it for next week because I'm not going to try to find it and waste air time. Um, but I guess that uh, that leads us to the end of that. So thank you so much for all the messages and comments, guys. It's so great. Each week, it astounds me how supportive the Elder Scrolls online community is towards us and this project. Um, when I first started this off, I really did feel like this was just going to be something that was for me something that i like to do but the more we go out there the more we hear from you fans it really gives me a little extra mm, jump to want to do it more often because of the amount of positive support and criticism and and interaction from our community and our fans and this is fantastic so i really want to thank you guys for this because you've made this experience for us so much more enjoyable i mean i enjoyed it from the start i would have done it even if people hated it, but the fact that so many people actually come out and say that they enjoy listening to us and, and are subscribing to us and stuff like that really just give us that extra special something. <laughs> so, um, well, it's that time again for our closing thoughts. Thais, why don't you go ahead and give us your thoughts for the show? Right now, I am beaming from all the the contact from the people through Twitter and Facebook. As he's reading them, I'm just over here like shaking out of pure joy because it's just so amazing to have so many people write to us with like, different questions and things that we, we should talk about. So just my thoughts on the show are, are purely from our connection 
to the community. That, like you said, that makes it all worthwhile. And of course, as with every show, I have to add, the book was just fantastic. I had so much fun reading that. It really is my favorite part of the show. It it kind of sucks that it's towards the end, but it's all right. We saved the best for last. You know, that's how most things work. So that's my thoughts for the show. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for being my co-host this evening yet again. And uh, as for myself, um, again, I, I've already said it before, but I, I love the uh, community like interacting with us. The amount of amount of subscribers we have is actually really surprising. Like, uh, I'm really surprised at that, and I'm really happy. I've gotten a lot of interaction from a lot of the community, and it, it's just been amazing. Um, as for the show, I mean, I had a lot of fun. Not only with my gameplay talking, but I had a lot of fun with our Elder Scrolls discussion. I like that idea of us comparing what the test games were originally, how they are in the MMO now, and then comparing it to the Tamriel uh, Foundry article for their racial comparison just to see how how we think as players. And I know they are a major, awesome source of theory crafting, and their numbers are probably better than ours anyway. We're just going from a glance and um it was just that was just a lot of fun for me and i i really like that kind of theory crafting and and things of that nature so um and again uh the excitement of being on tamriel chronicle that that was really really unexpected i actually don't know who it was who uh who actually got us on there because i i i've been thinking about writing to them there was a little note about signing up on the community site forum I hadn't done it yet. So somebody else in the community wrote to them about our podcast and got it up there. So that wasn't us. So I was as surprised as, as you know, the genuine surprise when I saw our name up there. I I was baffled because I hadn't written in to say, hey, we're a, a community podcast. Someone else did that. So whoever that was out there, thank you so much for uh, putting us on that list. And uh, yeah. That's my shows are my thoughts for this show. So thank you all for listening to this podcast. Feel free to contact us with questions. Oh my goodness. We love that comments, criticisms on our website uh, for the show, which is tales of or by emailing the show at podcast at tales of You can follow our show on Twitter at tales of Tamriel or on Facebook at facebook.com slash tales of Tamriel podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of tales of Tamriel. Good night.